Yo, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Cats by 90 podcast brought to you by SB Nations of Sea of Blue. Please make sure um, if you're not subscribed on iTunes and Spotify. I've been checking out the Spotify link. It's actually a lot better than iTunes. So please make sure you're checking it out. Excited, man. I haven't been this excited to do a podcast in a long time. Actually, it is like everything is like all coming together. Play the number one football team in the country on Saturday, followed by like it's over, man. There's no more like real information we're going to get about the basketball team. Preseason expectations are formed at this point so i'm really really pumped to get into some of that we're gonna start with basketball but what's up aaron are you uh staying happy and healthy in lexington yeah man uh, this third wave has me stressed but can't complain now and uh be going back to connecticut sunday for really i'm not sure how long i'll be up there i haven't put a time frame on it because i'll be graduating from uk on december 4th virtually unfortunately but that's oh, the way wow, the world right now that. but uh Ooh. all's good yeah man it's uh th- graduating a semester early so I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing this last I guess this is really the last physical week here and then uh, finish up online uh, when I get back home on Sunday. Damn man this guy just BSing with me on the podcast all the time and graduating semesters early cool man I have to I have to make a note of that we'll, we'll do some celebrations somehow but um, again man just uh, uh, so much basketball to get to we're gonna start with basketball before we get into like this this episode um, next week man I'm gonna have Jack Pilgrim on so I guess we'll be Tuesday next week we'll record again and then dang man it'll be a short shelf life for yeah. that Wednesday night um, the basketball team kicks off which that's on the list to talk about a, a lot of the game times got released today make sure you tune in next week because uh, Jack will be on you know he's dialed in so we'll, we'll kind of hear what he thinks and what he expects early on in the season first I guess another thing is that same situation Aaron is the NBA draft tomorrow so we better hit that first because that's gonna yep. be real news basically uh getting into this time tomorrow so what is your thoughts I guess first I'll kind of start out I know we had a um an article on a sea of blue today so I guess the final NBA draft kind of a uh, mock that I'm seeing here through Sports Illustrated Tyrese Maxey 15 um I'll just do all the uh the Sports Illustrated Emmanuel quickly 38 Aston Hagens doing 55th, and then the Athletic has Nick Richards at 53rd. Obviously, EJ Montgomery not listed. So, are you? I guess basically all we can really talk about with this because I don't want to get into specific team scenarios. And do you expect any surprises? I guess tomorrow night. I don't think so. I think uh, Tyrese is definitely going to be a first rounder, and most likely will be the lone first rounder um, out of UK, obviously. And then I think you know the really only other slam dunk to absolutely hear his name called, I think, is Emmanuel Quickly, who I think will go in that early second round. Maybe he sneaks into the end of the first round. Probably not. But I think those are the two guys that you'll hear their name called at some point tomorrow night. Um, yeah, like you said, not going into specific teams, but I'd say I think Maxie's around probably just outside the lottery. I'd say that 15 to 20 range. And then Emmanuel, you're probably looking anywhere from that last pick of the first round, 30 to maybe, I don't know, 37-ish. Uh, just looking at some of the other ones here. I don't even see him in the CBS one yet. So maybe I'm a little off. He's even later, but yeah, everything yeah, I'm looking at from I, I wouldn't be, Bleacher Report, Sports yeah. Illustrated, ESPN and the Athletic have a man quickly anywhere from 34th to 45th. Yeah. And so this CBS sports one, just looking here on my iPad, um, Tyrese Maxey going 19th to Brooklyn and then Emmanuel 54th right here near here in Indiana. So an interesting fit, but later than I expect, but I think those two guys get drafted. I'm just, I think Nick, you know, I think, if this was the NBA even like 10 years ago, I think Nick would have snuck into the second round. But just the NBA is so guard heavy. 
and there's just not much emphasis anymore on throwing it down to the paint to your big center. So I think that may go against him, not necessarily his talent, and that might help Ashton Higgins, who's a great defensive player, uh, sneak into that late round. But I just think Nick as a player has so much more upside than Higgins. Yeah, I do. Like, so best case scenario for me is, you know, as far as uh, all the players in combination, like if Tyrese Maxey, you know, were to slide in the lighter and get picked kind of, you know, three, four picks ahead, ahead of his projections. And then quickly the kind of the same, if he kind of bumps up that list, you know, when was they get kind of a surprising three to four spots right there. So I think that's kind of best case scenario. And um, I agree with all your points on the Hagens versus Richards scenario. That was good stuff, et cetera. But I'm excited for the draft. Do you have any idea of the format? I haven't been watching it at all. I was trying to explain to my daughter, you know, kind of how it normally works with shaking the hands and, and all that. Right. Is it just like virtual completely? I don't yeah. Know. I think it's going to be pretty much what we saw the NFL draft end up being, which was uh, made for TV. And they it ended up being great. I mean, they really did a good job, you know, having the cameras and all the living rooms and still having all those interviews after the pick, just not – shaking the hand of the commissioner or, you know, with um, the NBA usually in Brooklyn or the garden. So I really think it'll still be fun to watch. It'll be obviously every year. It's interesting with the trades and stuff, but you know, this year's class is just, I don't know about you, man. I'm just not impressed with it overall. I think there's, there are a lot of good college players, but I don't know. Uh, no, no one in this class really strikes me as a budding NBA superstar. And that's what makes Maxi so interesting to me is, I mean, we all knew Tyler here would be pretty good, but geez, I mean, 20 point or 38 points in playoff games and all that good. And, you know, just the way Kentucky breeds players, I think that could help Maxi, you know, stay in that first round and not take the dip that you're worried about. Because, you know, when you're looking at guys who, I don't know, the resumes just aren't that impressive. Maybe you do look at the schools holistically and say, man, Kentucky's done better than most at developing these kids. And maybe that goes in uh, Maxie's favor in this weaker class. Man, you're convincing me. The stuff I'm reading is convincing me because I, I think you're right. So the Sports Illustrated kind of little little tidbit about um, Tyrese Maxie is like what you said, just talking about his high ceiling, especially in that range, man, in the in the low teens range. He could has such a high ceiling. And I, I know we said we weren't going to get into like specific team scenarios, well, whoo, I like the athletics prediction for um, Tyrese Maxey, 18th to Dallas. Um, I'd love to see him running with Luka. That would be dope. So, um, again, I'm pumped for the NBA draft. So, we'll obviously be checking in on that and holler at everyone next week about our thoughts. And hopefully all four guys find themselves on a team. Um, but next, and obviously the biggest basketball news of the week was just Pro Day and finally getting all that stuff. Our first real look at this team. Aaron, I know I've, I've had very limited access as kind of everyone. So what were your just, um, you know, 30,000 feet high-level um, impressions after seeing Pro Day? Very athletic team. I mean, that's probably my biggest takeaway. Oh. I didn't get to very long. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, the Isaiah, ha- Isaiah Jackson hype grew a little more. He was impressive. Uh, I think Olivia Saar was everything and more you expected. Uh, Devin Askew was kind of the name that everyone fell in love with after watching it because – you know, ask it, it, people obviously he's a five-star point guard, so he's going to bring excitement. But uh, just the fact he's, a, I think, still 17, and you brought in the uh, older guy in Mintz probably signaled, well, they don't think he's going to be that one-and-done, you know, impact guard. But uh, he might have – I mean, it, I try not to read too much into these pro days just because mm-hmm. you never know and injuries occur and all that stuff. Um, I mean, E.J. Montgomery a couple of years ago had a fantastic pro day, and Jamal Baker was the star of pro day, and we both right. know how it went for those good two call, guys. Yeah. 
I'm not trying to be a downer, but I, I just wouldn't go read too much into it. But at the same time, what it, what is different to me about this year's team that you should be excited about is, you know, Cal always brags about his guys, but normally it's, oh, they look so ugly, we're going to turn around. Those haven't been the tone of his tweets. He's been really excited from day one about this group. Uh, he really wants there to obviously be – a as close to a normal season as possible and get this team, you know, on the floor because there's a lot of parity in college basketball. It's going to be very similar to last year where there's just no team that strikes you as unbeatable like maybe Duke was on paper uh, two years ago and some of the Duke teams and even Kentucky in 15. So I think this team has as good a chance as anybody. Man, really, really, really solid um, mention about the stars of Pro Day a few years ago because I agree. It's it's very hard to, to form opinions and, and because it's live competition and, and shit, man, they haven't they haven't had much of that, you know, even when we're not watching. So to me, that's a big thing. I think we need to taper expectations and either way, and that's um, higher or low, or I guess forming opinions, I mean, more as far as the early part of the season because we've seen it a million times, man. This team could easily come out and struggle in these first few games and just try to find their rhythm when it's only, you know, five of them out there by themselves. They're not playing against each other and just acclimating to this. And they're so young. So I think that's important. The early part of the year, we've just seen it time and time again. So I have no clue what to expect in these first rounds of games. So they did announce the game time. So Kentucky will play Wednesday at six. So hyped about that, man. Day before Thanksgiving, that's going to be great. I was um, excited too about the, you know, it being a noon game for Louisville the day after Christmas. That's, man, you have a full belly waking up. That's going to be awesome. So what about starting lineups? After seeing Pro Day and stuff, Aaron, what's your kind of, again, we're not going to get much, if any, more information about this team, um, you know, in the next six days. So what do you think final starting lineup projection? Yeah, I, I'd still go with – I think they're still going to go with the veteran. Uh, to st- at least start the year, I think – it just makes more sense given his experience. And I still think Askew's a really raw talent. I think Askew will be a solid player. I don't think he's going to be a bust like a couple of the guys we just mentioned. But uh, I definitely think uh, Mintz is probably the safe option to start the year. Then obviously uh, Clark and Boston is the backcourt combo that you brought to carry this team. Not carry, but lead the team. And I, those two will be in the lineup. And then I'd say from all the hype, it's got to be Jackson at the four. Uh, the way he's played. I think Lance Ware is another one of those guys that is a project, and so is Cameron Fletcher. I think I think Ware's probably has a better chance of being in that eight-man rotation. I think Fletcher mm-hmm. might be kind of an odd man out yeah. uh, just this year at least. And then obviously the five has got to be Olivier Sar. Yeah, I've shared my opinions on – I guess I'll start with Cameron Fletcher. I, I agree. I don't think he's going to be in the rotation – much at all really throughout the course of the year who knows early but I think that the culmination of the year he's going to take a while I think to acclimate to this level of basketball but my starting lineup obviously uh, Terrence Clark BJ Boston are going to start I could even potentially see I'm going to say I think Davion Mintz is going to at least a ton of minutes I'm going to throw him in there which might be crazy and then Olivier Saar and Isaiah, Isaiah Jackson that lineup's kind of insane when you think about it but there's so much stuff that you could do with this team and so many you know pieces you could place they are really. I mean, if if I'm wrong about Cameron Fletcher and Lance Ware really steps up, I mean, hell, this team could almost platoon, you know, if everyone plays yeah. their potential. So, in Cal, again, early in the year, he's going to try different stuff. And, again, you might see 
the lineup that we think is the best really struggle to play together. And he's just going to have to plug pieces in potentially. But do you see that as being more likely, Aaron, what I'm talking about, or that Kentucky just comes out and just, you know, rolls through the, these first round of games that Rupp and really polished? I mean, these players that we're hearing about, um, you know, show that. Yeah, I think that intentionally they have more. This is probably the most depth, and I think everyone I've talked to agrees. Um, since 2015, now the quality of that depth is not 2015, and that's not a knock on this group. It's just the 2015 team was out of this world. But, I mean, we didn't even mention guys like Dante Allen, who missed all last year with injury, but was a guy, uh, say what you want, he averaged like 50 points his senior year of high school. Who cares what the competition was? That's impressive as hell. And then you had uh, Jacob Topin, the 6'8 forward, who uh, – before we knew exactly with this pandemic that the NCAA would pretty much just gift uh, these eligibility waivers as they should, just given the craziness of this year. Um, Kentucky wasn't even planning on applying for a waiver because they wanted Topin to sit and learn. And then you bring back Keon Brooks, the only returner, and neither of us had had, had him in our starting lineup. That's how deep this team is. So, yeah, I mean, Cal's going to play you if you play well. He's not going to sit you if not. He just he only puts the guys out there that are helping the team win. So usually it's seven or eight guys, but this year the depth is there. So maybe it gets up to eight or nine. Maybe you platoon at ten. I think you need a lot to go right for it to get to that point. But the depth is there if you really wanted to do it. Right. Um, well, let me ask you this. I might have missed asking that question the first time. So do you think that Kentucky's more likely to come out and we'll watch these first three games and kind of be like, man? They're not quite up to where I thought. They got a lot of work to do and, you know, have that kind of slump, that early season slump like we're so accustomed to seeing. Or do you think that they kind of – it's the opposite. You know, they blow us away and we're really thinking, you know, we're thinking Final Four for this team. What, what scenario do you see that <laughs> most likely in, you know, 10 days from now? I think realistically it will probably be somewhere in between just given the fact those first two opponents aren't great in Moorhead and then Detroit Mercy. I think it will start to learn a lot more when you take on Kansas and even Richmond and UCLA, some of those other early games, um, and see where they stack up against good teams that have a chance to play in March as opposed to the two teams that are kind of playing for pride. So I, I do. I think, I, I, like I said a few weeks ago, I think I said it on here and not BBI, that I think it might even help the team that they've kind of been in this bubble situation because they've been able to just focus on each other and focus on basketball and getting to know each other rather than, you know, I'm not, you know, we call them student athletes. We know what they are, obviously, with <laughs> who knows how much class they do, but there's less acclimation to the college lifestyle. There's less, there's less, and there should be no partying. Uh, just given the situation that's going on with COVID. So maybe, you know, them just being in a bubble and focusing on basketball helps the early season modern, uh, early season bonding and just playing as a team. But it, it's impossible to ask a group of 18-year-olds to just blow teams out of the water in their first couple of games at the college level. Yeah, but you know, you know that's what the expectation was going to be. So I guess it was better summed up as just, you know, the eye test over the next three games and, you know, it'll, it, it'll, it'll have a feel to it one way or the other, I guess, you know, no matter what the level of competition. And then after that, man, it gets stout, though. I mean, they're going to play some, some really good teams and some teams that will oh, have yeah. the chance to do the same thing and, um, you know, kind of shake the rust off, get a few games under their belt. But you mentioned it earlier, and I refuse to make this a COVID podcast, but 
Um, those games are definitely in jeopardy as we head into the winter because yeah. at least here in Kentucky and I know a lot of other states, things are kind Almost of every state. not doing well. So um, hopefully they got a good plan in place. And even if there are cancellations, postponements, it, it takes flight at some point. But, um, oh, yeah, uh, one thing I didn't have even written down, but um, I guess this week, too, you saw, Aaron, where they announced the um, singular location for the NCAA yeah. tournament. Look, they didn't like, formal. Did they formally announce Indy or is that just being, like, heavily assumed? No, they, it's heavily – I don't think they formally announced it. I, don't, I think it, that might have been a scoop off some reporter. But, you know, it makes sense – all the sense in the world, really. You have both Lucas Oil Stadium and Bankers Fieldhouse. And then, you know, there, there are gyms in the area of IUP – I don't know where they play, uh, Indiana uh, University of Indianapolis. Um, you also have, obviously, Bloomington's not far. That'd be kind of cool to have a tournament game there. That'd be really cool, in my opinion. So, um, it, 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 would, it makes a lot of sense to have it in the Indiana area, keep all the teams in one general area, and maybe you even get through the tournament quicker because, you know, if we're trying to get it in in March, or, and, you know, that, they're, all the indications are a widely available vaccine is ready in April, uh, you want to get out of there in two weeks so you can get everyone home and vaccinated and get this thing behind us. So uh, it makes all the sense in the world if you could do it, no doubt. Cool, cool. Well, last basketball topic we'll hit, man. It's, it's not a – it's a sad one, and it came at just such a bizarre time during Pro Day. But Matthew Mitchell announcing his retirement due to health reasons, and we're going to talk after the break a little bit and just kind of, you know, pay some respects to Coach Larman. But – Man, just mm-hmm. devastating week for kind of the Big Blue Nation in terms of just health and really putting life in perspective, though. But I, I'm I'm a women's basketball fan. I've really become a Me women's too. basketball fan over the last two years. I've always appreciated the, the level that the game's played at. But with my daughter getting older and getting into it, um, I took her and her middle school teammates to the, the Louisville game last year and watched Ryan Howard just torch them up. Oh. So this team's going to be so good. I've talked about it on here. I've talked about it on a lot of podcasts with um, Evan Crane. He's obviously a huge, huge um, part of the women's basketball program. But that's really sad, man. I, I hated to hear that, but wish him the best. And for me, you know, as a middle, I guess I'm not, am I middle age? I'm 33. I don't, I don't guess I'm. I'm no, nah, you're younger I'm, than I'm that. way under middle age. <laughs> I, I was doing it in comparison to you, I think. Um, okay. <laughs> for me, for me, compared to Aaron, I guess, you know, it's being a little older and a father and family man, like, oh, it just, it just really hit home. And I just can't imagine my kids, you know, in terms of Coach Slarman's family growing up with without their dad, it's just devastating. So um, I guess you were as caught off guard as everybody, weren't you, Aaron, during oh. the pro day when that just, you know, abruptly broke? Yeah, I couldn't – I really couldn't believe it. And, you know, Larry Vaught put out a tweet at about, I think, 6.15 saying more unexpected bad news was going to hit. And uh, my mind went, oh, God, is someone going to die now? Is it something happened with Chris Oates or Josh Paschal? That's where my mind went. Uh, so that was the last thing I was expecting, and it, it, it really is disappointing. We actually just had Matthew Mitchell on our radio show on the BBI like two weeks He's ago. so and good at that stuff too, man. I, yeah. I, just, I hope he stays – I know um, – I, I saw – I think Mitch Barnhart, somebody said, I guess yes. he's planning to stay in the Lexington area. So that, That's right. Heck, it could even get – you know, as far as the entertainment value of Matthew Mitchell, it could even get better now because he's going to be under far less, you know, restraints, and he can do anything, say anything, and – I've, sure. I've, I've taken my family to um, one of the big blue madnesses where he danced. And I just get the, the biggest kick out of just his personality and, and how he always, you know, did media stuff like you mentioned and everything. So it's a yeah. bummer, but again, wishing the best for, you know, his family and the program. And uh, I'll be excited still to kind of see what this team can do because they're absolutely loaded. 
No doubt. Yeah, this is probably on paper. We talked about this supposed to be the best UK football team on paper. Uh, this UK women's basketball oh, team no, is don't think so. the best in program history on paper, no doubt. And the best, the best, you know, one of the best players. I don't, I don't know. I can't really compare to to the history of the program. I wouldn't be educated enough in that sense. But man, the re- leading leading returning scorer in the nation for women's basketball, Ryan Howard. I mean. Just uh, SEC, obviously, preseason player of the year I saw this week. So, if you haven't watched her play much, you should definitely do it this season because the Big Blue Nation was absolutely blessed to have her on return for for this season. But, all right, man, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to kind of rapid-fire football, huge game this week. We'll be right back on the Cats by 90 podcast. All right, and we are back. Big Blue Drew, Aaron Gershon, Cats by 90 podcast. Again, please make sure you're checking it out. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe. Uh, if you drop a review, that'd be dope too. Football, Aaron. So, man, the <laughs> best team on paper is what we left um, the last segment with. So, talk about best team on paper. The number one team in the land, Kentucky, is going to be challenged with yeah. taking on on their home field a Nick Saban coached Alabama team. 48 points a game, I think, 550 yards per game. This one has the making for a bloodbath. <laughs> yeah, it's not – it doesn't look great. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, uh, first you want to give credit, just going back to the Vandy game here, uh, you want to credit Kentucky's offense. Obviously, the emotions, especially the offensive line played with, um, they were outstanding. Um, obviously, they scored – I'm trying to think. Most of their drives ended up with points, but they scored 38. Um, obviously, Terry Wilson with two really pretty balls uh, to tight ends in the end zone had the big run. He was fantastic on Saturday, and part of that's Vandy, but part of that's execution on Kentucky side as well. And you got to give them credit there. And the one weak spot with Alabama is their defense has been shaky at times this year. So if Kentucky can play like they did, like that offensively, they'll at least be able to put more than maybe a touchdown or two on the board. So that's the good news. Uh, The really, really, really bad news is the defense against Vanderbilt was horrendous. I mean, 80 plays Vanderbilt ran for 407 yards. Uh, They scored those two late touchdowns when Mark Stoops, who you don't really blame him. You're up 17. He really wanted to get Bo Allen in the game. And with seven minutes or whatever it was, it made perfect sense. And Allen made some throws to get you excited. And the defense, instead of just going out and finishing the deal, they couldn't stop a thing. And Vandy scores two late touchdowns to, you know, have that onside kick for 30 seconds that if they get it, you never know with the way Kentucky's defense is playing. And you heard Stoops absolutely just just dig into the defense in this press conference yesterday saying how pissed off he was. He thought they were being selfish, that they were waiting for – you know, the coaching staff to call a play that would have him succeed rather than going out and make one. And that is extraordinarily uh, problematic going up against Alabama because uh, this is the best – this is an NFL offense is what it is. Mac Jones, the former U.K. commit, mm-hmm. uh, is Ouch. a Heisman candidate. Um, you have Najee Harris, the running back, is going to be an early draft pick next year. He, uh, he reminds me a lot of Derrick Henry, so that should scare you. Uh, you lose Jalen Waddell at receiver, but you still have Devontae Smith who had like, I don't know, 1,800 yards last year. He's on pace for similar numbers this year and caught that touchdown to win the Natty a couple of years ago. You have – Hey, but for, uh, while we're talking about him, that was on my list too. I feel like he's like a Perry Ellis guy yeah. at Alabama. We don't see him enough at, at Kentucky football, you know, to, for it to feel that way, I guess. And, um, but, man, dude, I, I did a post this week for a Sea of Blue 
and added up his total yardage. And I want to say it was like around like 3,500 yards or something like just nuts. So yeah, between nuts. former um, Kentucky commit Mac Mac Jones, who's thrown for freaking like 2,200 yards, uh, <laughs> it's going to be that'll that'll twist the knife a little on Saturday if you know Alabama is you know just just puts it on the Cats, which could very well happen. But who knows? Oof. Anything's possible. If you notice there, and I try to skip right across the Vandy game, but I guess you're right. We do have to talk about it. Um, uh, yeah. I, had a few, I had a few points real quick. Number one, I, you know me, man. I've been really giddy to see Bo Allen chuck it around um, Kroger Field a little bit. And, of course, I missed that one. So, I, I did not get to see his first time doing it. But he looked good. I'm really happy for him. I, yes. I think it's awesome to hear that, you know, a local hometown kid like that that's, you know, not, you know, a big, you know, huge multi-sport athlete type guy that you think would just come in and be able to play SEC football – um, looked great, and I think he has a you know a chance to really do some damage at Kentucky. So I was hyped about seeing Bo. And then secondly, like I said, I wasn't there, so I wanted to ask you, Aaron. I've been dying to ask you, like, what was the vibe in the press box like late fourth quarter when it when the wheels were just falling off? Like, I know you can't talk or anything in there, but I have to assume the just the overall vibe was just like, oh my god, this is just re- yeah. It was. Um, I think everyone was kind of like, this is pretty pathetic. <laughs> I mean, really, I know. Um, they were up 17. That's because their offense played so well. But really all day, Vanderbilt, like I said, 80 plays. They convert 17 of 11 on third down, two of two on fourth, and both of those plays end in the end zone. Uh, so they were pretty much – Vanderbilt, the 0-6 Commodores, were pretty much doing whatever they wanted against Kentucky's defense. Um, and, you know, it gives them some credit, obviously, on 0-16. Uh, 0-6 team, rather. They have uh, a ton of COVID issues. If you looked – just looking at their sideline compared to what Kentucky had, I mean, Vanderbilt barely had enough guys to play that game. Uh, the sideline was – it had to be – I'd say Kentucky had probably 30% more guys on their sideline to Vandy. So, they come down shorthanded and they gave it all they got. The quarterback, Ken Seals, has a bright future, but it's still not an excuse because Kentucky's defense that played really well against Georgia, obviously played excellent against Tennessee – and um, Mississippi State uh, has struggled against mediocre. I mean, Ole Miss, throw that game away. Ole Miss's offense put 49 on Alabama. That's an elite group. But they played mediocre against a mediocre Missouri team and a really not-so-good Vanderbilt team. And now you play Alabama, that, that's a huge problem. So I did – I had a sweet kind of little uh, debate going on on Twitter. I think it was yesterday or the day before. So my question was – I got a lot of interaction and some heated debate was – if Kentucky was to pull off a miraculous upset on Saturday, beat this juggernaut number one Nick Saban coach team, where would that rank for you, Aaron, in the Stoops era wins? And keep it number one. The tough – okay, sorry. The tough part of this, and I kept having to clarify, so you can really look at this from two ways, is that, you know, what's the bigger upset and what's, like, the more meaningful program win? Does that change your answer at all? No, uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, obviously the Florida game was absolutely monumental to finally end that streak. And they were so close so many different times, especially the year right before. Um, but get, so getting that done was obviously huge, and it's a, a, a huge win for Stoops. But, I mean, this team, this Alabama team, if they don't win the national championship, it would be a, really a huge surprise with Clemson not quite as dominant as usual this year. Ohio State, we just haven't seen enough from yet to really tell what they'll be. And then Notre Dame, the other team in the playoffs. So Alabama should be definitely the team to beat here. And like we just said, this 
it's a team full of NFL guys and NFL first rounders. It's Nick Saban. Uh, it's in Tuscaloosa, limited crowd or not. Uh, it doesn't matter. So if they got this done, this might be the biggest. I'd have to – obviously the LSU game in 2007 when they beat number one, I'd have to go look more at Kentucky's football history in the regular season. But this would be up there with one of the biggest wins in program history, at least in the regular season. So uh, if they got it done, it would be monumental. But uh, <laughs> well, it's, definitely, it's hard to predict it. Definitely, absolutely will be possibly the biggest upset. But another element that nobody's really mentioned when we were kind of going at it on Twitter about this was the fact that Alabama could lose games after this. And I feel like if, if they don't win the national championship, five years removed from this, I think you wouldn't – I don't know that you would, you know, look at it the same and say that. And then secondly, um, I saw I ran a poll on it too, you know, 2018 Florida win or beating Alabama potentially on Saturday as a bigger Stoops win. And it was so lopsided, like 75-25 Alabama. And I firmly yeah. believe, Aaron, I firmly believe if I ran that poll – in 2018, you know, as a hypothetical, that Alabama team being so good, it would have been like 90-10 beat Florida for sure. It's so hard being a year and a half or whatever removed from that and forgetting. But I, I'm a firm believer in um, the recency is kind of killing that because people are – I guess that's a little stale beating Florida already. But um, that was just my opinion on that. Think, it probably this is not going to matter very soon. <laughs> yeah, and I think part of that is people are frustrated that – you know, you beat Florida, which was obviously it's still huge, and they probably should have they should have a three game winning streak against Florida is what they should have right now. We all we all know how last year went and twenty seventeen went both in Lexington, and I, I think this year it's not going to be very good. I think people are frustrated that Kentucky's one they had their chances to beat Florida more often than they haven't, and B, you know, Kentucky had all these hopes for this year. You look at Georgia having a down year, kind of, I at least expected it. Some others did too. And then Florida, as good as they are on offense, their defense is shaky. So if Kentucky had just played to their potential, this really was their year to win the East. But now you look at Florida and the role they're on. Uh, Georgia, this is probably just a one-year, you know, stuck in the road type of thing. Uh, you're worried, are we, are, is Kentucky ever going to pass Florida? Oh, and Georgia yeah. for that matter. Are they ever going to win this Eastern division? Because this year felt like the year to do it. Uh, and next year, I mean, next year is very concerning given uh, – uh, unless guys end up picking up that year that they get this year, you're only going to have one guy back on the offensive I line. I think next year, man, gets really <laughs> concerning and dicey if they come off the rest of the few games. I think that's when uh, next year because just the, the pressure and the vibe and the attitude. So I think the – Finishing out this season strong, I think, honestly, believe will go a long way in kind of the, the rolling into next year. And then uh, one last thing on the Stoops, you know, how, how would that rank on his wins? Nick Roush had a good point. He actually commented Louisville 2016. And if you're looking at it from a perspective of important to Mark Stoops, he might not be at Kentucky if that game goes crazy and then they don't, you know, it, they don't carry on the success that they've had. So, you know, if you remember then, I mean, things were really kind of, um, you, you know, there was a time when – the question was, where, was Kentucky going to turn that corner? And they obviously have. So, maybe, I don't know, man. We'll see what happens. On. If they can hang in there on Saturday, um, that'll, that'll be probably enough, man, to get everybody kind of recharged. And, you know, if they can win a game or so heading, heading out uh, these final games, I think in maybe a few months removed from this, we might look back and give a little pass just for the wild, bizarre season that this was. And, man, it is so easy to take – in the you know forget that 10 sec games man that is ridiculous yeah 
Well, yeah, just the frustrating part is, and I agree, I think that's part of the reason the record is going to be what it is. But it's just hard not to think what if still, because one, the talent, and two, the ways they've lost. They should have, the Auburn game, Auburn's okay this year. They're not, you know, they're not the Auburn that won a national title with Cam or got to that title game uh, a couple of years ago. Even the team that beat Bama last year, they're not that. Um, in Kentucky, we all know what happened to Chris Rodriguez play, but still they had their chances in that game, even wipe that out of memory. So they lose that one in frustrating fashion. The Ole Miss game, the defense doesn't show up. You miss an extra point. You lose that game, and A.J. Rose throws a peace sign, and, you know, that's the game right there. So mm-hmm. there's another win you could have had. Missouri, they practically don't show up. So, you know, those are three, three games if they go your way. Uh, you what are you? You're six and one. Yeah, by far <laughs> I mean, the most disappointing game, Missouri, without question. Yeah, I think by far, you know, the biggest letdown and just like what, oh, just wolf on right. that one. So that that's, think about it, you're six and one. You're tied for first in the East. Uh, you're probably going to lose this game here to Alabama, but still, you're six and two, and then you go to Florida. And I mean, if they beat you, they beat you. If you lose, you're in first place in the East. That's how close this Kentucky team is, and they just have not been what they were supposed to be this year ouch that's why i say football for a second because you're right a lot of wasted opportunities and kind of a, a season in in general as far as who knows what bowls will look like too i'm kind of excited to see you know what that roundup looks like and, and how if, if any postponements relocations if anything like that goes down because it'll be fun to that'll feel that'll feel nice watching some playoff yeah. football well with the no win eligibility thing I would be stunned just because of the pandemic and not having the game on the schedule, plus the proximity. If it's not a Music City Bowl between Louisville and Kentucky, you could pretty much book it, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Whew. All right, that would be sweet. Um, I guess finally, man, so Kentucky ESPN's um, score predictor or, or win predictor is giving them 3.3% chance. It's one of the lowest I've seen. And then 31-point spread. Do you think Kentucky Ooh. covers the 31-point spread? Monument, like monster spread. Yeah. You know, not after I saw what this defense was. I'd say if you gave me – even if Kentucky's defense played half as well this past week against Vanderbilt, maybe got one turnover and held them to 21, I'd say, yeah, they'll probably cover – I think they'd be able to cover that and keep it within 20, 21-ish. But the way the defense played and – we know what Alabama's offense is and Kentucky's offense. Yeah, they looked great last week, but we all know the talent's not really there, and that was Vanderbilt. Uh, no, I, I don't think they're going to cover. Uh, for, first quarter will be really important. They can't come out and just get their doors blown off. You know, you know, Kentucky yeah. having three and out, three and out, and then Alabama scoring. That'll be that'll be a recipe for that spread not to get covered. I actually, think, I'm going to say they're going to cover because it it's, it's just it's just huge, man. Maybe late in the game or, or something if if it is kind of not close that that they'll be able to pull with things. That's just a big spread. So I'll say they cover it somehow, some way. Um, but we'll see. Good stuff, man. So much stuff to talk about. And um, next time, man, so we'll do that basketball pretty much preview show, which is yeah. really, really exciting to think about. We'll hopefully have Jack on from Kentucky Sports Radio, and um, we'll kind of break down what we think, maybe learn a little bit more about their opponents, stuff like that. So I, it still seems unreal, I guess, Aaron, that we'll be talking about a you know, basketball in-person Kentucky game. I think I saw today it's been like well over 200 days or something. So Jeez. feels like it's been uh, longer than that. Yeah, uh, it does, man. This year is just – and then now too, man, 
it's just settling in the fact that 2021, I mean, we've just been holding our breath for nine months. And I mean, what, what are we getting out of that? So we need to get to, we need to get to April. That's what it sounds like. We need to get to April 2021. It'll be great to have the new calendar year, but uh, realistically think keeping the right mind. So we don't make this thing even worse than it's going to be. We just got to get to April. Yeah. Winter is coming. So we just got to oh. make it through, get to the time change and, and all that stuff. But all right, and I'll talk to you um, next week. And we will, you know, learn a little bit more about their opponent and catch up on some basketball preview stuff. All righty. All right. Thanks for listening. Cats by 90 podcast. Check it out. Apple podcast and Spotify.